Let me talk to you for a moment about something that impacts many of you. The U.S. Postal Service is a very important tool for any business. It reaches every household every single day. Now, Stamps.com is the easiest way to access all the amazing services of the post office. You can create your Stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. You can click, print, mail, bam, you're done. It's that easy. The U.S. Postal Service is great. Stamps.com makes it even better. I use Stamps.com because it is so convenient, it is so easy, and it saves me time, and it saves me money. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Simply go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Rome. Once again, I use the service, and I wish I started even earlier. Go to Stamps.com, enter Rome, Stamps.com, enter Rome. So eight out of nine doctors said they had to crack my skull open, take out my pituitary gland, and I had to be on medicine for the rest of my life. And one doctor said at the NIH that he can do a uh, surgery, uh, experimental surgery, but he can do it and without cracking my skull, where he can go through my nasal canal, break my nose, move it to the side, go through my nasal canal, and cut the tumor out piece by piece. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is Ep 41, and after a week off, I am absolutely pumped to be back. My battery is charged. My shovel is sharp. My will is outstanding. And so is my guest for this ep. Linebacker, sure, Mike Uwell Moore. Mike's story of overcoming adversity is one worth sharing. He had a scholarship pulled as a 17-year-old before eventually landing at Kansas State as a gray shirt. In Manhattan, doctors discovered a brain tumor that didn't just threaten his football career, it threatened his life. And just when he recovered from that complicated surgery and was able to get back on the field, tragedy strikes yet again. Mike lost his father and his best friend to a fatal heart attack. But he was able to get through that and make it to the NFL. And now shares his amazing story with all of you. After a week in the basement, the pod is back, and F41 gets popping right after this word from my friends at Lumber Liquidators. Listen up, 2018 is flying right on by. We are moving right through June. We all want to continue to elevate our game to that next level and make this the best year ever. If you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, you want to check this out. Because elevating your game for the rest of the year got a whole lot easier thanks to my pals at Lumber Liquidators and their new LL Pro Plus program. LL Pro Plus is Lumber Liquidators' new pro services team that you can call on for help in all your professional flooring needs. LL Pro Plus will help you absolutely crush it this year with professional pricing and dedicated support to get you what you need when you need it so you get your projects finished on time. And LL Pro Plus gives you the ultimate value and quality and with ll pro plus no job is too large no job is too small put the flooring experts on your team today visit your local lumber liquidator store or go to lumberliquidators.com that's lumberliquidators.com let's continue to make 2018 the best year ever with lumber liquidators so what is the worst part about coming back from vacation unpacking jet lag having them lose one of our bags, true, or going back to work. No, none of that. Let me tell you, 
All of that pales in comparison to rolling up on a voicemail machine overloaded with two weeks worth of messages that I have to sift through. I'd rather still be at the carousel waiting on that lost luggage than sitting here about to roll tape on 14 days of your voicemails. But then again, what choice do I really have? The voicemail lives to see another week, so I've got to press play. As much as I don't want to, I will. Remember, if you want in on this, simply dial 949-385-0447, 949-385-0447. It goes directly to me. Leave a message if I don't pick up, anytime, about anything. After what you're about to hear, you'll quickly realize it's just not that hard to crack this thing. First new message. Jimmy! We did it! We did it! Cats win the cop! You were spot on, bro, once again. Pat on the back. Way to go, brother. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Uh, it's Jeremiah in Colorado. I'm fucking housed. Yo, LeBron to Lakers. We're going to win a championship. Fuck the Warriors. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, why you hang up on me, dog? I'm not going to say my name because I'm a pretend pretending to be that one individual, right? Right. Hey, dude. It's not me, dog. All right, talk to you later, dog. Hey, don't hang up on me again, dude. That's the second time you pick up? Because people don't believe it, right? But hey, fuck it. <laughs> All right, later, dog. Message saved. Next message. Rome! This is Michelle from North Carolina. I'm here with my girls. Rome, I lost my virginity to you this year. I started listening to podcasts with my husband on the way to our cabin. Phone love. You do such a great job. Thank you for all you do. Keep doing what you're doing because you are hot at it. Message saved. Next message. Oh, yeah, it's me again. I almost forgot. I love your horses, and I love you, and have a good night. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Hey, pimp, I went online as many times as I could, and I voted for Jim Beam to be in the Hall of Fame. You deserved it, man. Message deleted. Next message. Rome, heard you were going in the basement this week, was so bummed at first, and then remembered. I'm way behind on the podcast, so now I got a chance to catch up. So it ended up being an awesome week. David Goggins, Sklar Brothers, Kobe Bryant, Mike Smith, loved them all. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Rome? This is Dr. Dave. I'm okay with being the running joke of the voicemail. Message deleted. Next message. This has been the worst week ever with you in the basement oh my god you can't take a whole week off anymore we have to coordinate our schedules so i miss you so much bye jimmy message saved next message rome justin from melbourne i finally figured out what you're doing in the basement all week you've got about nine huge flat screens set up on the wall as you're enjoying Every boring minute of the World Cup. I knew it, Rome. Enjoy. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome. This is Pharrell on the bench. Holy crap. James Kelly's forehead. Holy crap. And then, holy crap, Alvin DeLauro. Those kid eyes are, like, bugging out of his head. Holy crap, Rome. That fat ass. That fat ass, Alm Hawk. That guy with that stupid mustache and his stupid hipster t-shirts and stuff that he wears. 
Holy crap, I want to punch that kid in the face. Message deleted. You have no more messages. My man Scotty Farrell coming in. I love that. Scott, way to crush it. Two weeks worth of voicemails, and by the end of it, I was ready to put on a freaking sledgehammer. Put it right through the machine. But thank you for all the Hall of Fame love. It does not go unnoticed or unappreciated. Michelle in North Carolina, let me make this very, very clear. You lost your podcast virginity to Van Smack. I don't need to ruin you and your hubby's ride to the cabin with that not being crystal clear. But thank you very much for the love. Thank you for rocking the pod. And Dr. Dave in Chicago, my man, you are the running joke of the voicemail. But everybody's got a role. You just got to wear that. Wear that like that perfectly hideous shirt that Hawk buttons up and rocks every single day. Hey, now, if you work on a hot, dusty job site or in a loud, wet kitchen, you know how hard it can be to communicate clearly. And in order for things to get done, you have to communicate, right? But right now, with new Post-it Extreme Notes, you can get your message across and get the job done in literally any weather condition. I'm talking rain, heat, and humidity. Anything at all. New Post-it Extreme Notes are water-resistant. They're made with Durahold paper and adhesive, so they'll stick to anything. Concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick. So no matter what the task on the job site is, you can get your message across with new Post-it Extreme Notes. Buy them today wherever you get your Post-it Notes. In 2015, Mike Moore was diagnosed with a brain tumor. A few months later, he lost his father. It was the worst year of his life. It would be the worst year of anybody's life. But I'm talking to Mike today because of what came next. How he managed to get through it and overcome. To not only overcome one, but two of the most challenging things that could ever hit somebody and to come out the other side. My conversation with Mike Moore is coming your way right now. You know, Mike, it's so good to have you here. I want to say there's this unbelievable piece about you that was in the Players' Tribune called My Toughest Year. And even before that, my wife Janet and I had talked about you because you work out in a gym with Scott Prohaska and Amanda. And I know that you know my wife. And she said, do you know Mike Moore? I said, well, I know him, but I don't know him. So let's make this thing official. So let me first of all say it's great to have you here. Nice to have you in studio. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You know, when I first met Scott and I met your wife up there, we had all been able to talk and to get together and um, just telling her a little bit about my story and she fell in love automatically. And then it was great to talk to Scott and um, Scott and Amanda, they've been helping me, you know, mentally as well as physically. Scott is an amazing trainer, so he's changed my body totally, completely. Even the way I play the game made me a better athlete. All right, so there's so much in this because people have to understand what you've gone through mentally and physically. Now, you've already overcome so much. You've already lived an amazing life in your mid-20s. We'll get to all of that, but first, bring us up to date. You were released in late April by the Chargers. I know for a fact that the coaching staff liked you a lot. What are you focused on right now, and what's the immediate future look like for you? Well, right now, we're just making sure that my body's in the best shape possible you know Scott has me running a mile every three um every three days and that's that's kind of tough but to get my conditioning right so that when I do get a call I'm able to go right in to anybody's camp and play right away okay so you had back surgery right I did okay so how you doing with that what's recovery like and rehab like uh rehab was tough I will tell you that I had to learn how to walk again learn how to um, run again you know and as well as cutting the squat uh shout out to Christy over at select therapy that's where I started then I came to then I went to pro sport where I met Scott and I met Amanda and I met Joe and I met Allison who um, really helped me and Ray helped me get my body back to the point to where I can perform again and be able to run. 
Mike, what's that like? I mean, you're an elite athlete, right? I mean, you can do things that none of us could ever hope to do. You don't even have to think about it, but you had to learn how to walk again. You had to learn how to walk or run again. You had to learn how to cut again. What's that like? It was tough. It was challenging. You know, I, I knew um, what to do. My body knew what to do. It was just getting my body to do it, you know, get the fundamentals back down, taking baby steps. And that was pretty much the hardest part of the recovery time, just not um, – wanted my body to react faster than what it's supposed to. You know, it seemed like for somebody like you or anybody else that that'd be the toughest thing you'd ever have to go through, but it's not, not <laughs> even close. The fact that you and I are even having this conversation is amazing onto itself. Go back to your junior year at Kansas State when you were playing ball. You knew something was not right because an athlete knows his body better than anybody else, and your body was not responding. At that time, what were the types of things that you were dealing with physically? Um, falling out of workouts, never fell out of workouts until I got there the first time, and that was the hardest workout I ever did when I first got to Kansas State. Coach Dawson put us through a tremendous, grueling workout, and then we had to run sprints at the end. And I was like, Coach, is, are we done? He was like, no, you got you know, you know, four 40-yard um, sprints, so let's get it done, team sprinting. I did that, and in the summertime, coming up to my junior year, I was falling out of workouts. I was over-fatigued, over and my coaches didn't know what was going on. They thought I was out partying too much, which I knew I was taking care of my body sleeping well, sleeping real good, and just didn't know what was going on. When we went into camp, I had a couple cramps, fell out of workouts, and my body was cramping up, and we didn't know what was going on. So after the first game, played against Stephen F. Austin, had a really good game, and um, went back to practice that week. That Tuesday, I was having real bad back pains. Well, go back. That Sunday, I was having real bad back, game, back pains after, the, um, after our game, and I didn't know what was going on. So I went to the restroom, and I peed blood blood that came out of my urine. And I didn't tell my trainers, I didn't tell anybody. Cause How come? Because I, I was still trying to fight for a starting position. Right. You know, when you play football, you know, starting is everything for you us. You know and My dad always told me it's the difference between pain and injury. And I never wanted to, you know, I always wanted to come out on the field and give it my all. And if I couldn't go out, you had to carry me off the field. I was not coming off. So um, didn't tell my trainers, and it got real bad that Monday. That Tuesday, we had a grueling practice. It was real hot. It was still in September in Manhattan, Kansas. And, even, and if anybody knows Kansas, they know it gets hot. It gets real hot like Texas. So um, had a hard practice, and I tried to cook dinner for my wife at the time, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't stand up. Laid down in the bed, and she was like, hey. She called my mom. My mom them told me, you know, call my trainers. I called my trainers and told them, you know, I just been in the morning. And they was like, no, you need to go to the hospital now because that's not normal. Went to the hospital, found out my creatinine levels was at a level 3.5, I believe, if that was correct. And um, they said when it gets to a 6, your kidneys um, shut down. And so um, they automatically, immediately put me on meds, tried to bring it down. I was in the hospital for a week. My coaches came to see me. Players came to see me. I missed the Iowa State game. We had Iowa State. We won the game. You know, which is good. I didn't get to play. I was in the hospital. Um, got out the hospital, and my equilibrium was still off. My um, creatine- at, that, at that point, <clears throat> what did they think it was? They thought I had kidney stones. Kidney stones. Okay. They thought I had kidney stones. That's what the um, coaches told my um, teammates, and I thought I had kidney stones. And you know, once my creatinine level came down, I thought I would be good. But my proactive level was still high. My testosterone level was still low, and we didn't know what was going on. So we ordered a full body MRI. Had the MRI done and came in, the, um, got called into the office to the training room on a Saturday practice, about to go down to my son's baby shower. And um, got you've got an news. infant son, you've got a baby son, you're having an infant shower or a baby shower, uh-huh. you're not exactly sure what it is, and then the trainer calls you in. Yes, sir. The trainer calls me in that Saturday. Me and my mom was about to head down, called us in, it was going to head down after the, um, after the meeting, found out I had a brain tumor. 
All right, so Mike, you're, I mean, you, you're an elite athlete, you're a young man, and there's a trainer telling you you've got a brain tumor. I mean, did you even know what that meant? Were you able to process that? What's going through your mind when this guy sits you down and says, I have to tell you bad news, you have a brain tumor? Well, he told me I had a, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the tumor, the doctor name that they give it, but um, I had a abnormal. I had an abnormal tumor on my pituitary gland. Okay. And so abnormal, I think that's the big one. Micro is smaller, so I had a big tumor on my um, pituitary gland, which was causing my testosterone level to be at a level of a 77-year-old man. Hmm. And so they was like, you know, football is out the question right now. You know, we're still going to have yeah, you So around. your first reaction, though, excuse me, your first reaction was, okay, okay, I hear you. When can I play ball, right? Yes, sir. Right, yes, sir. and what exactly. did they say to that? He said, football is done. He said, you know, right now we, we need to start thinking about things other than football. And when I heard that, I just shut down immediately. Um, my mom was there. She held my hand, and I just started crying. Everybody was still outside on the practice field. And it was just, it was detrimental. Yeah, but, Mike, the thing is, I mean, you love football, but there's more to it. I mean, here you are. There's a trainer telling you that you need to forget about football, except you have a wife at the time. You have a baby son. Essentially, mm-hmm. your entire life was football. Yes, sir. You spent your entire life getting ready for this moment, and you had a family to support. Mm-hmm. And here's a doctor or a trainer saying to you, you need to forget about football. <laughs> was your head spinning? Exactly. What were you thinking? Um, what to do now? Mm-hmm. What does my life look at without football? You know, growing up, my dad played football. I learned about football through him, fell in love with the game for myself playing football growing up since um, Pop won the league since I was five years old. So football was all I had. Football is who Mike Moore was. And when he told me, I was, you know, football was taken away from me, I would never be able to play again. It was, it was, I was stuck. Right. So you're at Kansas State, you're a college football player, this is your whole life. The doctor tells you about the surgery. What was the surgical procedure like? What were they going to do? How did that go? Well, before we even get to that, yeah. I had to um, get on medicine. They okay. put me on medicine because I was like, okay, I'm not about to be, you know, I'm not about to let this kill me. I'm not about to let this stop my dream. So I met with an endocrinologist down in um, Topeka, Kansas, and um, Dr. Sindler. And I went in with her, and we sat down, and we, she was asking me a lot of questions like, okay, you know, it's amazing that you're able to do what you're able to do with what you have, you know. Are you sure your son is yours? You know, because with the level of your testosterone level, you're not supposed to be able to have kids. Huh. And I wow. was like, yes, you know. Unfortunately, I had my, my son tested and um, <clears throat> when he was born, so I knew he was mine, which that was a blessing because if that would have came out before, you know, without having tested, there would have been some questions. Right. So I'm glad we had it done. And um, we went through, got on medicine for six months to suppress the tumor. And the tumor didn't shrink when I went back to the doctor. Went back to the doctor, and she was like, uh, your tumor hasn't shrunk, so you cannot play football. You know, I started doing that six-month period. I started back working out um, nonstop. I got bigger, stronger, faster. I was in the best shape of my life. Working out with the team, doing um, winter conditioning. Before surgery, just while you were on meds. Surgery. Yes, sir, uh-huh. before surgery. Well, just while I was on meds. And when I went back to the doctor, and she told me the tumor hadn't shrunk, I was back at that position. Like, okay, what do we do now? Surgery, you know, right? Um. Yeah, she said I had to have surgery. She said, well, you have to have surgery, you have to remove the tumor because it started affecting my uh, optic nerves. The tumor was sitting, um, sitting down on my optic lens, and I had to start wearing glasses, so it was affecting my vision. Affected your vision. How yes, about sir. your memory? Were you feeling, was it affecting your memory, too? It wasn't really affecting my memory that I can tell, you know. Maybe I'll forget something every once in a while. I think all of us men get that. Yeah, <laughs> I know I do. So, so surgery, then, is a, it's a reality. So what mm-hmm. did the doctor tell you about surgery? How were they going to get that tumor? 
Okay, so she said we um she was gonna shop it out, trying to send it out to her colleagues because she didn't know where the tumor came from. She she was new to it, you know, it was it wasn't um common for a guy my age to be doing what I'm supposed to do, you know, on the football field, you know, made it to college, doing these things. How long have I had the tumor? She had questions. And so she was like, you know, I'm gonna send it out to my colleagues and you know, shop it around and see what we can do, but you have to have surgery. So eight out of nine doctors said they have to crack my skull open, take out my pituitary gland, and I have to be on medicine for the rest of my life. And one doctor said at the NIH that he can do a uh, surgery, uh, experimental surgery, but he can do it and without cracking my skull, where he can go through my nasal canal, break my nose, move it to the side, go through my nasal canal, and cut the tumor out piece by piece. But I had to get accepted by the hospital. And thankful to the Lord, I was um, able to get accepted to the NIH, National Institution of Health, and Dr. Chitty Bunganya. Did my surgery. Let me ask you something. I mean, there's nothing to me more terrifying than brain surgery, <laughs> except maybe experimental brain surgery. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to go that route and not the other? Because I want to play ball. Right. Yes, sir. I wanted to play ball, and um, that's all I had. I still wanted to play ball. I knew, you know, we prayed about it, and I had a good feeling about it, and I wanted to play ball. Hey, listen, I, unless you've been through something like this, and you and I talked about this briefly, my father had brain surgery. He had leukemia. It got into his head. He had wow. brain surgery. And this is something, and I've, I haven't had it myself like you have, but I've been in the room. I know what it's like to be in the room before somebody gets wheeled out mm. for brain surgery. Mm. It's the scariest shit ever. It's <laughs> terrible. You were in that room. Your mom was in your room. Your wife at the time was in the room. Your baby son was in the room. Your father was in the room. You had never had surgery before. Mm. Never. What? what was it like in the moments in that room before the procedure? I was nervous. I was definitely nervous. I was hungry. They said we couldn't eat, and I'm used to eating like four times a day. Um, I couldn't eat, and I was just sleeping. Uh, I tried to calm my nerves. They was like, you know, you, you want to be relaxed. You want to be calm. I stayed at the hotel the night before with my um, my wife and my son, you know, because I, I didn't know what, what was going to happen. They was like, you know, you want to watch the surgery before you get it done. You know, we won't recommend it, but, you know, my mom and my wife had watched it, my dad. And they was like, okay, we, you know, it would be good, but you don't need to see it. And so um, I was nervous. I was definitely nervous. So how'd the surgery go? What surgery happened then? Surgery went good. Um, surgery went well, as I know, as they told me, you know, knowing now that the surgery went very well because I'm here now today. Sure. But um, during the surgery, they had cut my throat. When I got trait to put the breathing tube in, yep. the breathing tube wasn't long enough, so they had put it in, then they took it out, and in the process of taking it out, they cut, cut my throat. And so um, when I woke up, I had a lot of people working on me, you know, because it was a lot of blood everywhere. A lot of people working on me. Went, passed back out. When I was going into my room, back into my room, I woke up panicking, freaking out because, you know, I just got up, didn't know where I was. My mom, dad, the doctors were holding me down because I was trying to get the wires out, just panicking and freaking out. They calmed me down. I went back to sleep, woke up. I had two long tubes sticking out my nose with a breathing mask on. I mean, Face swollen, no, right. couldn't breathe out my nose and could only breathe out my mouth. And then my mouth was filling up with blood, so they had to bring a suction to suck the blood out. Hey man, it's, I mean, it's heavy stuff. You had brain surgery, they <laughs> cut your throat, and there's all this going on. I'm sure there's a lot of medication, too. But then what happens? I mean, you make it back to school, right? You get mm -hmm. back on the practice field. You start to play football. How were you able to get back? How long did that take? So it was a six-month rest period. So I... Um, Six weeks, I apologize. It was six weeks. Six weeks uh -huh. six after weeks brain surgery. Period. After brain surgery, I could start back walking, picking things up over 10 pounds. Because at first, I couldn't pick up my son during that first six weeks period. I had to just stay still. Dude, what was that like? Hard. Yeah. It was definitely hard. I was definitely making my mom and dad and my wife very mad because I was picking up my son. You know, it was hard. You know, my son was only... Um, three months, four months at the time. He was running around, he wanted me, and the only way I can get to him is if I was sitting down, they could put him on me, but 
I was still trying to do a lot of things and they was like, okay, look here, you had brain surgery. You didn't have, you know, ACL surgery, back surgery, you know, it wasn't nothing small, this is huge. Like, you can't see what you're doing to your brain because your brain is inside. So you have to really just listen to what the doctors are telling you. So I did that, um, sat down, um, got over six weeks, went back to the hospital, everything was good. Um, went to Kansas State in the summertime, back with my team, and I started out slowly, you know, went in the weight room, and my coach was amazing. I worked with Coach Honeycutt. He was my special coach at the time, him and Coach Meredith, where everybody else was working with other players, and we just, you know, took it slow. Started walking around the field. Um, then from walking around the field, I started jogging around the field. Then I started doing sprints, 100-yard sprints, and then I was able to work myself back into the unconditioning, you know, started out one station at a time. Then, okay, let's do three stations today. Let's do four stations today. It was a gradual process. I couldn't give up, you know, because this is what I wanted to do. But it was definitely, it wasn't easy. All right, so you work your way all the way back now. I mean, you've made it back to the team. You're working out with the mm -hmm. team. You're getting better, better, stronger, and stronger. And you make it back, and, and things are good, right? You're back on track. Mm -hmm. You're living the dream again. You have your son. Everything is right there. And then one day they tell you, you need to go to the coach's office. Do not stop. Don't talk to anybody. Just go to the coach's office. What happened that day? Uh, I just got back in town from Yom Kippur. Seeing my, being with my family, we, um, we, cele we celebrate the Jewish, the Jewish custom. So we went down to Denver to Yom Kippur. Seen my father that morning. Seen my whole family. And I had a sick feeling in my stomach. I did not want to go back to Kansas State. Because when I got back, you know, my coaches were worried about my brain state. Well, why do you think that was? You you knew something was wrong or what was going on? I don't know. I don't know what was going on. I think it's just the fact of me leaving my family again. Because my wife and kids, uh, my wife and my son had moved down to Dallas with my family just to make it easier for us, you know, financially. And that she would be down there and be taken care of, you know, can work with my family business and everything would be good. You know, they'll come up on the weekends to games. And it was extremely hard, you know, being sure. away from my family because that's my family. You know, that was my my unit, my circle. And I devoted myself to that. So um, I didn't want to leave them. It was always hard leaving. And we flew separate ways. My wife and my family went to Dallas and I flew to Manhattan, Kansas. Flew to Manhattan, Kansas, talked to my dad, and he was like, you know, everything's going to be good. You know, football's going to turn around because I wasn't starting at the time because my coaches were worried about my brain. They wanted to make sure everything was good. They didn't want to just throw me back in totally in the fire. And um, we was talking about, you know, having more playing time and things. And got a, uh, after my workout, uh, I went upstairs and I seen one of my one of my good friends. And he was like, hey, you need to go straight to the coach's office. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Went up there to see Coach Cox, Mike Cox. That was my linebacker coach at the time. He was like, hey, you know, we're flying you home. And I was like, okay, what's going on? You know, what's, what's, what's up? He was like, hey, we're flying you home. Something happened. I'm not able to tell you. They told me to promise not to tell you, but um, you need to go home. And he was tearing up in his eyes. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? You okay? Something's going on with my mom. Okay, my mom had, has Graves' disease, so maybe she had an episode. Okay, she'll be fine. Something wrong with my wife. He was like, no, it's not your mom. Okay, maybe my wife at the time, she was pregnant. Maybe something happened to her on the flight. You know, maybe she's sick. Maybe something happened to the baby. Okay, let's get there. I never thought my dad would be the um, the reason for me going home. And um, Wait, tell me, tell me about your dad. What what was your dad like? Why did you think that it couldn't be your dad? My dad was strong. My dad, he was healthy, strong, and he was the rock of the family. He never really got sick. He was healthy. Um, and me and my dad was my best friend. You know, my dad is my best friend. He was my best friend, and he had he had everything together. I knew he worked out. You know, he was healthy. He was he was the rock of the family, so I just knew at that time nothing could happen to this guy. Like, He's this like the guy, strongest dude you knew, the strongest guy I knew. Yeah, yes sir. And um, my brother called me, 
And because I was calling everybody, nobody would answer. I was calling everybody. He was yeah, like, you had to be frantic, man. Nobody's telling oh, you what's yeah, going on. Definitely. We're putting you on a plane and nobody's picking up the phone. Exactly. Nobody's answering the phone. So finally, my brother-in-law called me. He was like, hey, your dad had a heart attack. We're going to fly. Um, they're flying you home. Just come straight here. We're going to meet you at, uh, at the hospital. And I was like, okay, they'll be fine. My grandfather had a heart attack when um, my sister graduated from um, high school. So I was like, okay. He bounced back from me. He was 60 plus, and he didn't really work out like that. My dad works out all the time, so my dad's gonna be fine. We're gonna build, we're gonna work it back day by day how I had to do it. I had to go to brain surgery. We're gonna day by day, take it day by day, and we're gonna get stronger together. And when I got home, when I was on the plane, I was landing, I was getting text messages already that my father had passed. Oh no. Yeah, it was, um, that was probably one, that is the hardest day of my life. So, you come home and there are cars out front, there are people out front, and you already know you're getting text messages on the airplane and you see your mother. What did your mother say? Uh, I said, well, walk, got out the car, walked up to my mom and everybody's around her. And she was like, hey, uh, your, your dad passed away today. He's in a better place. He didn't suffer. He didn't, um, he didn't wreck because you know, he, he had a heart attack while he was driving. He just pulled over to the side of the road and had a heart attack and he um, passed away. And... Um, and I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. You know, I was looking at my mom telling me her husband, who she, you know, been married to for 19 years, has passed away. And she, you know, you could tell she was having a hard time. So I walked away, and I um, started crying. And all the men in my family came around me, you know, supporting me, and um, got away from there. Went in the house to my sister, who was saying that she was pregnant at the time. Her and my wife were three days apart, and uh, I knew it was hard for her. And so I went in and just held her. And we both cried, and my brother walked out the room. He just walked out the house, and um, it was hard. It was and Mike, hard. Mike, you had seen him just hours before, right? Like, hours. everything was fine. Everything Every, was fine. Yes, yes. This is your best friend. This is, like, the strongest person you know mentally, emotionally, yes. physically. You yourself had brain surgery yes. only a few months earlier. Your best friend and your father is just suddenly taken from you. And I know it probably took some time to start to process this, but... Were you thinking, man, are you kidding me? Why me? Yes. Why me? What's going on here? If everything happens for a reason, mm -hmm. why is this happening to me? Exactly. Is that what you thought? That's exactly what I thought. You know, some days I still think that. You know, I want to mm -hmm. talk to my dad every day. You know, like I said, me and my dad were best friends. I call my dad more than I call my mom sometimes, you know. Uh, I call my dad late at night, and he's driving back from doing a job, you know, working with me and him just talking. We're not talking as father and son, we're talking as best friends because we both were men at the time. I had a family at the time, and um, that was my guy. And you know what, man, dude, we, anybody who's lost their dad, I lost my dad, we know this. You just said, we're both men, I had a family. There are just certain things that you can only talk to your dad yes. about that you were not going to talk to your wife, your mom, even one of your boys. Yes, indeed. I mean, how many times over the course of a day or a week do you think to yourself, man, I'm going to pick up the phone and call Pops, and you can't, right? That happens daily, a lot. Daily. Daily. It, it happens daily, and... Um, Thankful to Scott, you know, me and Scott work a lot on mental stuff. You know, I have a psychiatrist that I have to meet with. Like, these are the things that I have to do to get through day by day to um, cope with the fact that my father's not here. You know, that bothers me daily. So it's still a day-by-day -day process, mm -hmm. and you said it's the hardest day of your life. So the next day, though, I mean, you have to start now this process. The next mm -hmm. day, you're taken to see your dad, mm -hmm. and you see him, mm -hmm. and he's gone. What was that moment like with your dad? What happened? It was a moment of clarity. It, that moment right there really showed me that he was really gone. You know, that moment showed me that it was nothing that I can do. Um, if you watch the POV, I was explaining that I picked him up off the table and I held him tight and that um, tried to get him to wake up, you know, shook him. I picked him up completely to stand him up and um, he didn't budge, he didn't move. And that right there 
put in put everything in perspective and was like, okay, but I'm the man of the house now. Like, I have to do everything I can in my power to make it to the NFL, to make sure that my family will be successful. Like it's no longer my father's responsibility to take care of the family. Even though you had a business, okay, football is out the question. Like right then and there, I I knew football was over. I was about to take over the business and work the business. Like that was my plan. And my mom was like, no. That's your dad's dream, that's what your dad had. Like, no, you love football, you're gonna continue to play football. We didn't teach you to quit. We didn't teach you to give up. You know, everybody was telling my mom, let him do what he wanna do. You know, don't make him go back to school. Don't make him do all that. My wife even told me, babe, it's up to you. Like, whatever you wanna do. If you wanna play football, I'll support you. If you wanna stay here with us, like, I'll support you. It's whatever you wanna do. And my mom took me in the room and she was like, hey, me and your dad didn't raise you to quit. We didn't let you quit anything starting that you didn't wanna do. Like, you had to go through it, so you're not about to quit. And I had already graduated, so it was gonna be easy for the for that. Um, I already had my degree. I could have left and got a job. And she's like, "You love football? We're gonna ride this thing out." And I went back to school. You know, you did that, and it, actually, you told the story that when you saw him in that moment, you saw the scars. Yeah. And you actually said, and you said this in the Players Tribune piece, you said, "Fuck it." Yeah. You know, fuck it. I, it, I'm now the man. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got you. I got all of us. I will take care of this. But something happened, and, and again, I would imagine it affects people in so many different ways. Your dad, man, he was your love. You loved him. He was your guy. He was your best friend. But you mentioned also you started to get to a point where you started to actually hate him. Yeah. It became really, really difficult. Explain that to me. How can he be both your best friend but somebody you started to hate? Where did the hate come from? What was going on? Um, the hate stemmed from him not being there, mm-hmm. him leaving me. Um it was a combination of hating him and God, you know, because I didn't understand why would God do this to me. You know, he just known I just came off of back um, brain surgery. Like, I need him during this time. You know, it was a hard time for football. I need him. Like, my mom needs him. The family needs him. Like, we all depend on him. Why would God take him away from my family, you know? So, like, does God not love me anymore? Does he not care about me? You know, these, these were the questions that was going through my mind. Right. You know, I was looking at my dad like, okay, why why would you have somebody with you that knew what they were doing? You know, my cousin was with him, but my cousin didn't know how to do um, CPR. If you would have got CPR, he'd probably still alive. My dad was only five minutes away from the hospital. You know, why did it take the ambulance 15 minutes to get there? You know, all this stuff was going through my head. I'm just like, you know, like, this is, you know, effed up. Excuse my, you know, sure. this, this is effed up. Like, if I was down there, I started getting mad at Kansas State. If I was down there with my dad, like, I wanted to fly home to Dallas, but we had a game coming up that week. If I was down there, I would be able to, I know how to do CPR. I would have been able to give him CPR. You know, I, my dad would still be here. And I look like my dad. You know, I look closely like my dad. Dude, so. like you broke all the mirrors in your house. Yeah, like. How come? Because I didn't want to see myself. Because it reminded you of your dad. Because mm-hmm. you look like him. I didn't want to see myself. And um, I didn't want to take pictures. I didn't want to do nothing. I just just wanted to be there, exist, you know, play football, let out all my anger and my frustration on football. I knew I loved football. And that was the only place in that time where me and my dad could share something with him being gone. And it's football. So what about football then? Was that was that your salvation? And was that your saving grace? And was that the place where you could go? Or maybe, man, because it was so hard, did you start to hate football too? No, I never hated football. Okay. Football was my sanctuary. Um, Coach Snyder, you know, told me something long ago when I was going through the uh, fact that, you know, my wife being pregnant at the time, um, he had told me, look, you have a lot of stuff going on, on the outside. But when you come through these doors, when you walk in your place of business, everything else dies out. Like, you need to escape, you need to focus, so nothing else will take you away from this game. If this is what you want to do, dedicate these three hours, four hours, wherever you, however long you're going to be up here to this. And when you leave, 
that's when you pick that back up. But you cannot do nothing while you're here to focus on that stuff, like let that stuff go. And that's what I started to do. So you took care of your business on the field. You understood that. Let me ask you something. You're, I mean, you're a spiritual guy, right? You're a devout guy. These are really heavy questions. Mm-hmm. Like you got through brain surgery, and then all of a sudden you're wondering, like, I, hey, God, how could you do this to me? Yeah. My dad was the rock. We need him here right now. Yes. I came all the way back. I passed that test. Maybe mm-hmm. that was a test for me. Yes. How do you reconcile all that? Were you able to answer those questions? Why me? Why him? Why this? Why would you do this to my family? Do you are you still searching for those answers, or were you able to get those answers somehow? I was able to get those answers with prayer. Um, like I say, with um, psychiatric help, I really needed it. You know, I was in a low place, and then with my kids as well. My kids saved me a lot. You know, my kids. Um, and then my dad as well. How my dad was with me and my family, and just watching him growing up and how he handled everybody. You know, and somebody didn't have a dad, my dad would be like, just call me Uncle Mike. I got you. And my dad would step in that place and be a dad to to that person, to my friends, to anybody that came. You know, he was trying to move everybody in the house. And my mom was like, no, like, <laughs> you got, we got to, enough. You got enough, but let's just, you know, let's, we can help him. He brought everybody part. in, he, right? He loved everybody. And so with that, I looked at it, okay, my dad was here for a brief moment. You know, my dad was here in a brief moment of my life. He was there for um, 21 years. And what really put it in perspective was the Black Panther movie. So the main character had went and seen his father in the vision, and he had said a line, he said, I don't know if I'm strong enough to um, be without you yet. And that point, when I seen that in the movies, I cried. I started crying right mm-hmm. away. And I was like, that's real, because when, you're, when, you're, when your father figure or your mother leaves this earth, who you, you, know, you call your father figure or your mother, you're not ready. Like, you never know. If they're sick, you know, you kind of see it, but when it happens out the blue, you're never truly ready. And the father said it. The father said the um, main thing that just sticks with me, if a father hasn't trained up his son to be prepared when he leaves, he hasn't done his job. And I knew at that point my father had did his job. You know, he did it in other people, so I know he did it in me. Uh-huh. And that's what put it in perspective, okay, God doesn't make mistakes, you know. He had to, he did that so I can depend on him because I was depending on my father for everything at that point in time. Yeah. yeah, I knew God had me. I knew God was, you know, ultimate in everything in my life. But if I needed something, anything, I can call my dad. And at this point in my life, what I'm going through now is like, okay, I have to depend on God through everything. You know, I can't depend on man. I have to depend on him. And so um, that's where I am with it. That's where I am now. And then your dad had trained you up. So let me ask you this. Father's Day was this past weekend, Mm. right? So you've got two kids. Mm. And you lost your father. I've got two kids. I lost my father. It means different things to different people. What does Father's Day mean to you? And what was that Father's Day like for you a couple of days ago? Um, It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. And um, I was in a bed. I didn't get to go home to see my kids. I had to do a couple of things up here. So I was up here by myself. And um, I started, this song came to me and I was in the bed because I was going to sleep the whole day away. I was really depressed. And um, song, This Is The Day, it was a spiritual song when I was little. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I started singing that, and I just got a, a, a spirit that came upon me. And I feel like with my dad, they're like, hey, everything's going to be all right. You know, choose each day is to know that this is the day that God has made. And choose to rejoice and be glad in it, Don't, no matter what's going on in your life. You know, take this 24 hours and make the best out of it. Mm. And that just came two days ago. Perfect. That's good. That was the day. I mean, there's something to it. There's a sign there. Let me ask you about that game against West Virginia. All right, so at the end of your, <laughs> the end of your career, you've got a chance to go to a bowl game. And you're out there against West Virginia. What do you remember about that day in that game? Uh, that was my junior. That was the same year. The same year, my dad. That was my junior year. My dad had passed away, and I start playing. I start starting, and you know we was having a great turnaround season. 
it started turning. They had you around. playing Mike, right? I had, I was playing Mike. That's yeah. why I played Mike back. And it was just phenomenal. That day, Coach Snyder came in the locker room and was like, hey, we need to win this game to go to a bowl game. Everybody knows what's on the line. But don't have a bowl game on your mind. Have this game. And he says, we're going to be one and no every play. You know, one and no. Take it one play at a time, one second at a time. And if we do what we're supposed to do, do, do and when we do what we're trained to do, we'll come out on top. And after we left the locker room, it was a, it was time to rock. I knew we had prepared. I was ready to go. I didn't know at the end of the game what I had done in the game, but during the middle of the game, you I was didn't. Playing How come? Like, what was going on? I was playing so hard at halftime. I had to go in and get a breathing treatment. Yeah. It was like the atmosphere was crazy. Like Kansas State. If you've never been to a home game at Kansas State, you're missing life because we have one of the best fan base. You know, one of the most amazing. I'm losing words because it's so fanatical. No, you do. It is. K State does. They are amazing when it comes to home games, and the stadium was rocking. My mom was there. That was, I think, that was the yes, that was the first game my mom actually came back to a game. Uh-huh. My mom was there. My family was there, and it was just amazing. Was um, your dad there? Could you feel him that day? I did. I can't. I can't. I, and I knew it was my last game of the season. I said, "I'm gonna play for you." I wrote it on my arms. I wrote it on my tape. I wrote it on my hat. And I was like, "This game is for you, daddy." Like I'm playing for you. My teammates came up to me for the game. Like, do this for your daddy. Like, this for Pops. Like, we got you. We're going to rock with you. You've been carrying us. We're going to carry you. And we went out and had an amazing game. Did your teammates rally around you and your dad that day? They did. What what was that like? What did that feel like to you? It was amazing. Like, I I carried a role as a captain, even though I wasn't a captain. So, a lot of people looked up to me because I was one of the oldest guys on the team. And so, um, everybody was looking up to me as well as um, a couple other teammates. And I knew I had them on my back as well as my family on my back. And I had to perform. So there was a woman and a daughter who came up to you after that game, right? No, that was my senior year after our bowl game, my senior year. Okay, so what what did she say to you? Um, My senior year after our bowl game, we beat Texas A&M right. in the bowl game. We had beat all Texas teams that year. So we ran Texas. Um, a woman came up to me in the hotel when we got back to the hotel. And um, it was a little lady, and I didn't know who she was, but she knew who I was. She walked up to me and told me, hey, Mike, um, I wanted to come meet you. I have a brain tumor as well. And for you to have gone through that and to come out on top gives me motivation because I don't know if I'm going to live or die tomorrow. You know, they, um, I'm about to start chemotherapy, which I didn't have to go through chemo. Um, thank God. But um, I wanted to come see you. Like, I wanted, One of my life's dreams was to come see your last college game because you've been through it, you know, you, you're a motivation to me. And I was like, wow, you know, like for me, I'm only 23 at the time, you know, playing football, this is all I want to do. And, and to have an impact on somebody's life that great, it was just phenomenal. And I started crying, I hugged her, cried, we cried together and it was great. And she had a daughter there with her and I'm just like, man, she could have took her daughter anywhere, but she came to Houston, Texas to see me playing the ball game, that's huge. So I would imagine, man, that's not, she's probably not the only one yeah. who feels that way about you and you've had that kind of impact on other people. What's it mean to you to go through everything you've gone through and know that you're an inspiration to other people, that you can raise other people up, that they see you and think, I, I can use this as an example. If he can do it, maybe I can do it too. It's a blessing. You know, that's what I think my calling is to inspire people. I think all athletes will inspire people to be great. And for me to be in this position of going through these things, and now I truly understand why I had to go through the brain surgery, why I had to go through, you know, losing my father, why I had to go through um, the year after that, closely losing my mother, you know, then getting ready for the draft, going through a divorce, and then having back surgery, like, 
going through all of those things, I feel like set me up to be able to talk to people that's going through anything like that or anything that's not like that. You know, they're just going through a hard time in their life to know that if you continue to push and drive and to strive for what you want, God's going to answer your prayers and everything's going to come in the fold. You know, it might be hard and tough at that point in time right now, but it'll get better if you continue to work and strive for what you want. Yeah, so what is that? I mean, is that the message? If somebody's dealing with something right now, whether it's an illness like you've dealt with, or maybe it's somebody close to them dealing with an illness, whatever it is, if there's somebody dealing with a challenge and they feel overwhelmed and they're not sure they can continue to press on, what's your message to them? Stay positive. When I was recovering from my back, um, my brain surgery, Mindy Hoffman was a trainer. And she said, Mike, I want to tell you one thing. You're a strong man, but what I want to tell you is when, you're, when your brain is positive, when you think positive stuff, that helps your body heal. When you're thinking negative, you're thinking, why me? You're in that, you know, that negative state of mind that hinders your body from healing. So if anybody's going through an illness or anybody's going through heartache or anything, if you stay positive, your mind will start healing your body. And once your body starts healing through that heartache or through that pain or through whatever you're going through, you, you become better. You become a better person. You become a positive person because nobody wants to have a pity party about themselves. Nobody wants people to feel bad for them. No, like, no, look at me and be strong. I want you to look at me and have strength and know that, wow, this guy right here is going through and he's able to, you know, despite of what he's And he's been got a through, smile on his face. Always. Always keep a smile on your face and always know that God's got it and that tomorrow will be better than, you know, today. You know, handle it. Like I say, every 24 hours, it's just that's all you have to worry about is 24 hours. The next 48, you know, the next one day at a time. Right? Handle yourself. Want to know. Be a want to know. I mean, Mike, want to know. Want to know. I mean, <laughs> my man, you've lived an entire life and more of a life than most of us will ever live by your mid-20s. You were telling me at the very start that you've come back from back surgery. You feel great physically. So where does this leave you right now? Where Where is your football career right now, and what are you doing? Right now, we're just waiting on the call. You know, me and Scott have just talked. We changed our workout regimen three times, um, running three times a day, running, um, lifting three times a week. So that's what we're doing just to make sure that I'm in tip-top shape, ready for the call when I get a call on the next team. All right, let me ask you this. What's an NFL team going to get if they bring in Mike Moore? They're going to a ball player. They're going to get somebody that's hungry, that won't take no for an answer, and it'll give his all to the team. Like I tell people all the, all the time, I give my life for what I do. Like, if I'm on the field, I'm giving you my life on that field. I'm not about to give you, you know, okay, go to the pain, go to the hurt. Like, no, I'll give you my life. I'll die on that field for you, you know, to take care of my kids and to take care of my family and to take care of the program. You know, once I get into an organization, you become my family. It's a really powerful message. If somebody listening right now, and I'm sure there will be, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so? Are you good about communicating with folks like that? And what's the best way for people to find you? Uh, you can get me on Twitter or Instagram. You can just type in my full name, Shermike Wilmore, and they'll pop up. And you reach out to me, I'll reach back out. I'm not one of those athletes that don't respond. I do respond to people. No, you respond to people, and people are responding to you very clearly. Mike, listen, I'm glad that we could do this. Like I said, I knew that you were in that gym. My wife said, Janet said, do you know Mike? I said, I know of Mike, but we've never met. She's like, he is such a good guy. You would love him. So I'm glad that we could spend time. I'm really glad you made it in here for the podcast, man. It is so great to meet you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you very much, Mike. Thanks. Listen up. Let me go spelling bee on you. Your word is... Zipa, Z-Y-P-P-A-H, Zipa. It's Happy Z spelled backwards. Listen, if you go to bed with Zipa, you wake up with Happy Zs. Did you know one bad night of sleep can ruin your entire day? 
Are you planning a summer vacation? You do not want to ruin that whole vacation by snoring all night long. Vacations are supposed to be a time for rest and relaxation. You bounce back. You recover. Well, how is that going to happen if they're snoring all night? If you're snoring, you're not sleeping. Neither is anybody else. This is why you need to get a Zipa before you take that vacation. If you or somebody you know snores, go to zipa.com. Zipa is guaranteed to stop the snoring. You have got nothing to lose. If you're not happy for any reason, return it and get a full refund. Snoring is rude. It's disrespectful. It's offensive. It's just whack. You do not want to ruin another summer vacation with snoring. So get your Zipa today. Get it by going to zipa.com. Zipa.com. Ensure that you and everybody else has an amazing summer. My thanks to Mike Moore for an awesome conversation. Now, if you want to hit him up on Twitter with your thoughts on what you just heard, you can find him at no more quit 50 that's more with two o's no more quit 50 while you're here do not leave without subscribing and reviewing if you've not done so already really appreciate that of course also not the campaign for the national radio hall of fame has officially ended we are pivoting and turning our attention to smack off 24 it's now exactly one month away So, if you're a podcast-only listener, come find The Jungle on CBS Sports Radio or CBS Sports Network and check it out. Smack-off season is the best season, and we're fully in it right now. If you have satellite radio, you can find the show every single day from noon to 3 Eastern, 9 to noon Pacific on Sirius XM 206. Thanks for checking out the pod. I'm back with F42 next week. Until then, appreciate you listening. See you next time. I'm out.